0: Congregation, the text I have chosen for the sermon this morning is 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Read that verse again. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So far, the word of God there. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the most important thing of all for a church of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you want to be a church of the Lord Jesus When is there reason to give thanks to the Lord above all for uh, the church, for what is happening in church? A lot's been written about that. Nowadays, the big thing for uh, many people is that a church has to be missional. In other words, a church which does its utmost with evangelism and, and mission. And there's no denying that's very important for a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the well-known words of the Lord Jesus, Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So those words certainly tell us that a church may not just try to keep the, the gospel for itself, the gospel of Christ, but it has to carry it out into the world. The thing is, is, uh, is, that, is that in itself the, the whole end-all and be-all for a church to want to achieve, or is there, is there something else? Well, there are others nowadays who argue, argue the main thing uh, to be church of Christ is to be a, a deaconal church, to show mercy, a church involved in all kinds of works of mercy, a socially involved church, a church which helps the poor and organizes assistance for suffering people here and there and all over the world. They point to Jesus' words, Matthew 25, about helping the hungry and thirsty and clothing the naked and visiting those in prison. Jesus said, Inasmuch as you did these things to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And again, there's no doubt that that needs to be something the Church of Christ has to be involved with too, helping the suffering and the needy. It's biblical to be deaconal. However, that's not also not the ultimate and comprehensive reason that the Apostle Paul gives thanks to God without ceasing in our text in connection with that church of Thessalonica. He gives thanks for a number of things that were happening in the church of Thessalonica in the beginning of this letter. But he gives thanks without ceasing, he says in our text, that the Christians there deeply appreciated the word of God brought to them by, by him and Silas. They welcomed it, held the proclamation of the Word in the highest esteem possible, welcomed that Word not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God Himself. A church needs to be Word-centered, has to have the proclamation of the Word as a central thing. And with that in mind, I preached to you the Word of God this morning with this theme, appreciate the Word of God. Three things in connection with that, know what it isn't, secondly, know what it is, and thirdly, know what it works. Appreciate the Word of God, know what it is not. Congregation, we read part of Acts earlier on, Acts 17, wonderful things are recorded in the book of Acts, think of how Paul and Silas ended up in Philippi related in the chapter just before the one we read act 16 you might remember that how Lydia believed the gospel Lydia the first uh, european convert how she believed the gospel was baptized together with her household and Then how Paul cast an evil spirit out of a slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination and how her owners managed to turn all kinds of people against them in Philippi so they were beaten and thrown in jail there. And then how there was an earthquake and the prison was opened up and how the jailer also in the end turned to the Lord and was baptized together with his whole family. And how the authorities ended up begging Paul and Silas to leave because they had Those authorities had done wrong by beating Roman citizens and throwing them into prison without a trial. There's a lot of things suddenly all took place everywhere these apostles went. A lot of things, amazing things, took place here in Greece. And then Paul and Silas arrived at the Greek city of Thessalonica. And there they went to the synagogue. And they preached there for three Sabbaths. And maybe you wonder what's so amazing about that. Well, maybe I can show, from, show you that from the context that, that chapter 17 is also about astonishing things. First of all, the city itself. You have to think about the city itself. And you know, it's good to have a historical Bible atlas at home and to look that up and see, get a taste of the places that are mentioned in your Bible reading. The city of Thessalonica was big had approximately 200,000 residents at the time Paul and Silas entered it. It was bigger than Barrie. It was around the size of Kitchener, south of here. Pretty, pretty sizable city for the day. Thessalonica was the capital city of the province of Macedonia. It was a harbor city, had a naval base, Roman naval naval base it was a, a, an important commercial center all kinds of center all kinds of roads met there in Thessalonica i read somewhere that Thessalonica even had a bypass because the traffic was so so heavy in the city itself they had traffic jams in the city busy busy place full of people from all over and if you glean that information about that city from somewhere then then it is Astonishing, isn't it? What we read in Acts 17. Think about it. Two, two men, they, they enter that city there on foot among all the crowds there and all the busyness of that city, two fellows. And then they make their way, they ask about it, you know, where's the Jewish synagogue? And they make their way to the synagogue, check it out, find a place to stay. Most likely a sizable synagogue in that commercial center. A lot of Jewish people were in business, in commerce. Well, in that, and then on the Sabbath, in that synagogue, Paul begins to reason from the Old Testament with the Jews and, and the Greek attenders at the synagogue, because every time there were also Gentile people who attended the synagogue, and he began to reason with them from the Old Testament about the promised Christ, what he had to do, and then proclaim to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of what is written here. What courage, what boldness there. But look what happened as a result of that preaching. For three Sabbaths, most likely after the regular, maybe after the regular service, the rabbi Paul stands before those people, the Old Testament in his hands, Old Testament scrolls, demonstrating, as it says, Acts 17, verse 3, that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He is the one. And then note what happens. Sure, at first, people hardly respond to what he has to say. Luke, who was there... Wrote the book of Acts, he writes at the beginning of verse 4, and some of them were persuaded. Not much response at first, some of them were persuaded. But then after that, that semicolon, Luke further adds, and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas after three Sundays. In other words, that synagogue in Thessalonica had a lot of sympathizers. Greeks who were seekers or converts to the Jewish faith, they knew, they knew what, what was in the Old Testament. Well, and quite a number of those Greeks, those Greek attenders, they came to believe that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus, who Paul was telling them about, that He was the Christ, the anointed Savior, the Messiah. And quite a few of those Greeks were even leading women of the city. Think about a congregation. Amazing, isn't it? Because who was Paul for those people? For us here, he's obviously the greatest of the apostles of Jesus Christ who wrote the most letters in the New Testament. But the people of Thessalonica there, they didn't know him from Adam. He was a total stranger to them, a man who came out of nowhere and into their synagogue to tell them that they should read and understand the Old Testament scriptures differently than they had always read and understood them before. Who told them that all of these scriptures pointed to that man Jesus. Maybe they had even heard something about him there already, but the whole Old Testament pointed to Jesus, and he is the the fulfillment, he is the Christ, the anointed one sent by God to save sinners. And the Jewish leaders of the synagogue, that Thessalonican synagogue, had, as you notice later on, heard and talked about the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. So there was knowledge about that. Because later they set the city in an uproar by crying out, according to verse 6 of Acts 17, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And they say, they talk about Jesus, they spoke against Jesus um, as the Christ bef- before, and yet congregation, in spite of all that, there were still Greeks in that synagogue who came to believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. And that's the amazing thing in Acts 17, because just think, what would you do in those circumstances? How would you react if somebody came up here today and told you that the way you read and understand the Bible wasn't the, was not Right? Your leaders didn't really understand it correctly. Wouldn't you react by thinking, hey, who does he think he is? With his new fangled way of explaining it or applying it to someone. See, congregation, the thing is that in those circumstances you usually fall into the danger of focusing on the messenger, the preacher, and seeing the gospel he brings to your attention as the word of men. And then you put aside what he says because you don't accept the person. That's a danger, right? Even if you know the minister who brings the word and you've heard him many times before, it can be that when he explains the Bible passages and and applies them, you feel admonished and that you say, well, who cares? I, I know who's saying it anyway. And then you ignore what he said because you see it as the word of men and not of God. Well that's not what those people in Thessalonica, those few Jews and that large group of Greeks and those prominent women, they didn't do that. They received, they welcomed, it says, they welcomed the word which Paul preached, not as the word of men, but as the word of God, as it is in truth. And again, That is the amazing thing that happened in Acts 17, the miracle of Thessalonica. And that's what the Apostle Paul thanks God for without ceasing. Those people focused not on the messenger and on the personal things, but on the message from the word. They focused on the word because they accepted it as the word of God. And that's something to be extremely thankful for, right? when people receive the word and welcome it as the word of God, this is God's word, God speaking. And what happens then is that the spirit then can use that welcoming attitude to work that deep joy we mentioned in the previous sermon in the hearts of those people. Joy that remains even in the face of suffering. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, appreciate the word, know what it is. So we've seen what it is not. It's not the word of men. Know what it is. We heard, congregation, that those Thessalonian believers received the word of God preached by Paul and Silas, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. In other words, when Paul and Silas walked into their city and into their synagogue, they didn't just hear uh, words of men, but they heard God's word. Said, so this is from God. And they received it, welcomed it as such. How was that possible? We heard already it's not easy for us, most of who grew up with the gospel, who are raised with it from childhood, it's not easy for us to not focus on the human, on the person, but on the, the message itself, because we're so easily distracted by our wandering thoughts and opinions. And that we easily put aside what we hear as the word of men. And then we don't appreciate the word for what it is in its inglorious truth, the word of God. We don't appreciate that it is God's own word which is being opened, the word from God's heart, which is being opened here today and proclaimed every Sunday again. You wonder then, How is it possible that those people there in Thessalonica, for whom the gospel of Jesus Christ was something new, welcomed and appreciated what Paul proclaimed as the word of God? Amazing. How did it come about in the synagogue in Thessalonica? Well, if you read what happened in Acts 17, you realize that Paul and Silas didn't come there broadcasting their own thoughts and ideas. They opened the word of God itself. They reasoned from the scriptures, the Old Testament, which they had at the time. Notice it says, Acts 17, Paul, as was his custom on the Sabbath, went to the synagogue, and therefore three Sabbaths. He reasoned with the Jews from the scriptures. He unrolled the scrolls of the various books of the Old Testament scriptures, and he explained to them what was written how the promised Messiah was going to come, how he had to suffer and to die, and then rise again from the dead. He explained all that. And then he applied his sermon to Jesus Christ. He proclaimed Jesus of Nazareth, who we already mentioned people knew something about, He he proclaimed him as the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. The Jesus who was more than a name for Paul, a living reality for him. After all, he had met him personally on the road to Damascus. Well, when Paul proclaimed Jesus crucified and risen as the Christ, the fulfillment of what had been promised and announced in the Old Testament Scripture, as the Savior from sin and all its effects showed that from the scriptures. Then the Holy Spirit was there and he worked the amazing thing we read about in Acts 17. Many people were given faith in Jesus Christ. Many people ended up with a relationship with Christ and congregation that it went there as it did in, in Thessalonica is the same way that it happens today too what the apostle did was has to happen today to every worship service here the scriptures have to be opened and expounded and the ministers may not come with their own ideas and experiences here no the word of god has to be explained and proclaimed That's what the congregation has a right to. And if that's not done, if that's not the central thing here, then something has to be done to ensure that it is. And when the Word of God is proclaimed here, then it ultimately, also as is in the text, has to be about Christ, the promised and sufficient Savior. It has to be about him as the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament Scriptures. Everything God spoke before. How He has delivered us from sin and death and Satan. And how He wants to renew us after His image and likeness. That's what Paul, Paul's preaching in Thessalonica was about. It was from the Scriptures about Christ. Jesus as the Christ. You know, if that takes place as it should, then we can expect the Holy Spirit to work that miracle of faith in Jesus Christ in hearts here too because he uses the means of the word to give living faith in Christ and so forgiveness of sins and life eternal also today. He works the same way. In other words, then people today too will receive the word as it is opened here, as it is in truth, namely the word of God himself. Brothers and sisters, has that miracle of faith by means of the working of the Holy Spirit, has that really taken place in your life? Have you welcomed the word which is read and expounded here, not as the word of men, but as the word of the eternal God himself, do you value that word highly above all other things as the word from the Almighty in heaven? Because, you know, if you do, if you sincerely appreciate that word that is opened here as the word of God himself and you're confirmed in that Sunday after Sunday again, that's going to have an effect on your life. After all, if you receive it as God's word, you're not just going to put it aside again after you've heard it here and then Monday go your own merry way again. If it's just the word of men, yeah, then you can just lay it aside. You can ignore it later on again if you want. But you cannot do that if you welcome it today as the word of God. You can't put it aside then, can you? if this is from the Almighty Himself. Then it's as if the Holy and Almighty God Himself is speaking to you, and then in faith you're going to want to submit to that word. Obey it. Live out of it. And you know, if that happens in a congregation, if that happens, then there's every reason to give thanks to God without ceasing as Paul did in our text when he saw that happening in the Thessalonian congregation. These people welcomed it as the word of God himself and submitted to it because it's God's word. And that's the main thing, isn't it? That's what comes before everything else in in a church, doesn't it? Submission to the word of God because it's valued as the word of god himself and that brings us to the last part of, of this sermon appreciate the word no know, know what that word works to congregation we heard that that when we receive god's word not as the word of men but as it truly is the word of god then it follows that we need to submit ourselves to it obey it but that's not all look at what the apostle paul writes at the end of the text about the word of god he describes it as the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. In other words, that word of God brought by Paul and Silas, that word of God that, that is brought here, this word of God is, works in people. And it was still at work in those Thessalonian believers. How does that word keep working in those who believe it? How can it be seen that the bringing of the word continues to work? Maybe you think, well, it continues to work faith in the hearers, and you can see it in how those Thessalonian, Thessalonian believers lived, that the word was working in them, and that's true, but there's more. Paul actually had something else in mind in the text here. Look at the verse right after the text. It begins with the word for. Verse 14, For. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. You see what that word of God and accepting it as the word of God brought about for those Thessalonian believers? Persecution. It worked persecution for them. Mistreatment at the hands of their countrymen. That's an effect of the word of God too. And Paul knew all too well about mistreatment that results from accepting that word as God's own word. Right? He himself had been a persecutor of Christians at one time before his conversion. And after his conversion, he experienced abuse himself at the hands of countrymen and others in a lot of places. Think of how he and Silas were beaten and put in stocks in the deepest dungeon in Philippi not not long before he ended up in Thessalonica. And where the the people, they're the people who believe the word of God about Jesus Christ in Thessalonica, they they experienced mistreatment almost right away too. We read that in Acts 17, how the Jews became jealous and put the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason where the Christians apparently assembled for worship in order to bring Paul and Silas before the city council, accusing them as troublemakers. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some others who had believed before the council and then they they accused them of inciting rebellion so the Thessalonians certainly knew what persecution was. But those Thessalonian Christians remained joyful and steadfast in their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's then what that word of God effectively worked in them, the ability to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and joyful in him even in the face of persecution. And note again, that's what Paul calls the effective working of God's Word in them. That means it wasn't their own ability, their own strength, their own determination or so. No, this was God's working in them, God's Word working in them. We could say it was the Spirit working that in them through the Word of God. Hopefully, brothers and sisters, you experience that effect of working of God's Word in your life, too being able to stand firm in your faith and in the joy of faith and in a life of faith no matter what or who pressures you as Christian to be a Christian to not be a Christian in other words to let go of Christ thankfully we don't have to deal with persecution here at this time the Thessalonians, like the Thessalonians did in Paul's days, but as our Western society becomes more and more post-Christian, you do realize we're going, to, we, we're going to experience all kinds of attacks on what we believe from the Word of God. Think, for instance, of how Bible-believing Christians are reviled as being homophobic because they, they want to hold on to what the Bible says about same-sex relations. Or think of how the teaching that God created the world in six days in the beginning is not even tolerated in, in the, the school system, the public school system anymore. That, that's pressure, and ultimately you realize, you know, that's, that's going to continue, go on. And you also realize it's the evil one, the devil who is behind all those... That, those attacks on faith in the Savior Jesus Christ and on the Word of God, welcoming the Word as as God's Word. Because what do you think? If God's Word is brought here every Sunday and you receive it and you welcome it as it is in truth, the Word of God, you think that the devil is going to sit by twiddling his thumbs? Not at all. Of course not. There's, There's nothing he wants more than to bring God's work in you to nothing again. Not all at once. Little by little, that's how the devil works. Little by little, undermining your appreciation for and confidence in the word of God. Just undermining it more and more. You question, oh, yeah, I wonder about this and, and that. Can't, that can't be true, can it? That couldn't have happened, could it? That's impossible. That's not really what it's about, is it? There's not really that much wrong with this, is there? And what the devil tries to do then is to bring you to see the Bible and the opening of the Bible here no longer as the opening of the word of God itself, but as the word of men. That this is all human business here. And this is not from God, but from men. Because once you start seeing that word as the word of men, as it also is proclaimed as, as the word of men, it's going to lose its power and authority. And you're going to lay it aside more and more. And you're going to lose your hold on Jesus who is the Christ, the only mediator there is between God and men. No congregation, in order to stand in the face of doubts or social pressure, or even outright persecution, we have to remember that effective working of the word mentioned by the Apostle Paul in our text. That word, if it is welcomed as the word of God, has the power to keep you standing in the truth, whatever you might have to deal with. It has the power. The proclamation of the word is how the Holy Spirit works steadfastness in faith even in the face of mistreatment as Christians. And therefore, we need to do what the Thessalonians did. Welcome the Word of God. Welcome it, not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God Himself. Hold it in the highest esteem. Hold it in the highest esteem. And as much as possible, also be there when it is proclaimed and testified about Christ as the fulfillment of that word. And then, then you may expect to experience that powerful working of the word too, that effective working of the word. Then you can experience that that word actually has power, that the spirit gives it power, power to keep you standing, power to keep you joyful in the salvation of Jesus Christ, so gloriously revealed in it. Power to stand no matter what might happen. Amen.